tell me. I want to know that. I, I got to tell you, well, I mean, the Chomsky, our Chomsky used to mention you all the time because we, there was talk at one stage that you and him were going to do a uh, radio show from Foley's and we had talked about that. But well, why I wanted to meet you was Red Foley used to talk so much about you. Red's a great guy. And Red, Red gave me th this, uh, it's, it's kind of like a caricature of you from your playing days. It is a sandwich, right? Right. Okay. Sandwich on the bat, and you signed it, and you said you said to, it's something to the fact that it's a red foley, a true DH. Because I don't know if you remember the story, but Red, I mean, Red, Red was not very athletically gifted, but he could hit the ball, but he couldn't run. So in a media game at Yankee Stadium, Red hit a ball at the old Yankee Stadium, and before they did it up in '74, he hit a ball off the the outfield wall, and you know that's quite a. No, did he really? He did well. He did because here's the story. So the next day, he's on the he's on the charter and he's sitting next to Ralph Huck, and Ralph Huck finds out about this. And Ralph Huck says, "You know," he said, "If I hit a ball, it's off the wall." And he said, "I'd have been on third." And Red turned to me and said, "Yeah, Ralph." He said, "But who would you have gotten to hit it for you?" Oh no! Red must have hey. Red must have been halfway in the outfield when he hit that ball, you know? <laughs> he must have been halfway out there. I wish I would have known that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So actually, the thing is, uh, I actually also have a copy of Ralph Hogg's biography that he autographed to Red. And uh, it's something to the effect of, you know, Bloomberg might have been the first, but if I'd have had my way, you'd have been my DH. Oh, no. Let me ask you something, Sean. Actually, how many players, how long were you open down there? 17 years. Actually, how many players have you had there? Have you ever taken account? Hundreds. How many guys? Hundreds. Yeah. God. Hundreds, yeah. yeah. How many different teams do you say visited, baseball teams visited Foley's? Every team. Somebody, somebody from every team would be, whenever, whenever the team would come in, I, you know, but it would be the managers, the, the front office people, the clubbies, the players. I, I mean, I have friends on all 30 teams. You know, I mean, when, when, when I made the announcement, the folders closed and I got uh, messages from, I think, 22 of the 30 teams from either GMs or managers and stuff like that reached out, wow. so former players. Wow. So I know what they, the coach, you know the coach, Tony Ferrara, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, Tony used to talk about you and you know, and uh, 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 Sham used to talk and, you know, I mean, we got to go down there. And he said, when you have a book, we'll go down there. I'll get Sean, you know, have you ever been down there before? I said, no. I said, that's the only place I've never been. And Fritz Peterson, Fritz told me, he said, you know, I mean, Fritz, he said, you know, I'll, I'm going down to uh, 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 your place. And I said, you know, I never get to go down to Foley's. He said, why not? I said, because I've never been asked. So your next restaurant or where, whatever you have, whatever you have. Well, consider yourself asked. Okay, I, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. Ron, Thanks, Sean. Sean. I'm going to make sure that I get him over to you, all right? Uh, so we'll, we'll, make, we'll make that happen. I've known you for over 20 years. More. More than that, right? Yeah. Um, and I know you've never stopped working. And so I know that there's something up your sleeve right now. Well, so I, I gotta, listen, I got to be honest with you. I mean, when everything went down last year and that, and, and I mean, I put the memorabilia away and I basically said, 
you know, I mean, 2021, I basically said 2021 is going to be a wash. So, you know, that's kind of my plan. I'm, I'm actually in Florida. Oh, really? Uh, so I, I, I had, um, yeah, you know, I said I, I, I paid my staff for as long as they possibly could afford to. When I ran out of money, I put the memorabilia away, and I, I had, I, I had bought a condo down here a couple of years ago, and uh, I moved down here. Actually, right now, um, I'm actually working at Publix. So uh-huh. I, I'm, I am, I'm, I went from talking baloney to slicing baloney. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. That, that's where I just came back from. They got the best key lime pie in the world, don't they? Uh, yes, they certainly do. Wait, I, a better I, key lime pie than Chick Fil A? Oh no, I don't like chick. You know, ch- I don't like the chicken sandwich. You know, I like a no, no, no. If I get a ham, you know what? I still like. I hate to tell you, and this really sounds bad. I still like McDonald's, and that sounds bad. Uh-oh. I'm just telling you, I, don't, I still like that. Sean, let me ask you a question now. Where in Florida are you living? Can I ask you? Are you tell me? Sure, or I'm, in, I'm in Dunedin. Oh, you're in Dunedin? Okay, yeah. near Orlando. Huh? Near Orlando. No, Dunedin, I'm near Clearwater. I'm, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, in in Dun- you're in Dunedin? Oh, but not the land. Oh, you're yeah, in Dunedin? Okay, where yeah. Tampa is. Yeah. By the, uh, the Gulf Coast, right? Yeah, I can, I can actually ride my bike to the Jazz games. Really? Yeah. You know Rob Wilson, then, don't you? No, Rob Wilson. Uh, the uh, literary agent of uh, Bill Madden and... Um, I, know, well, I, know, I know Bill Madden well, so... Yeah, Bill Madden, and uh, he's uh, uh, for Sham and uh, for Marty and for myself. And uh, he has a lot of people. And he lives in... Uh, he used to live up in New York. And now he lives in... Uh, where does he live? Clearwater. There's a lot of people lives, live in Clearwater. There's a lot of people moving down here. House properties have gone through the roof. Oh gosh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's- I mean be quite honest, uh, Mr. T will tell you uh, we've seen people leave the city in bundles. I mean, there's certain places you go and it's like a ghost town. Yeah. Is it really? It's where Hunt and Fish Club is is a ghost town right now. Times Square is a ghost town. Yep. It's it's ugly. Where you are now, uh, Nelson, how uh, had, did they clean it up a little bit down there? Uh, the street is cleaner on the days it rains. How's that? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, um, they haven't. Um, there's a bit more foot traffic than there used to be, so it doesn't look quite as bad because it's a little bit busier. Um, I've spoken to a bunch of the local politicians and um, it seems like they, they've kind of figured out that they need to clean it up before Broadway comes back or Broadway isn't coming back. Um, so we're hoping that they start to do things with the shelters and bring more police in and stuff like that. But they've really let it, they've let it get out of hand during the pandemic and it's quite unfortunate. And if truth be told, there was, we've been in our location since January of 2015. It was already starting to, even before the pandemic, it was starting to feel a little less secure down there. Um, it was still fine, but not the, just not quite as secure as it had previously. And the pandemic just, it, it became a, a collapse. They, what the city did there was criminal. 
Having said that, it's still New York, and until they can figure out a way to move Broadway and the Yankees to Nashville, it'll always come back, because it's still New York. Oh, yeah, but the good part about it is when the athletes start coming down there, these guys are going to start moving quick. You know, yeah. I mean, they'll start moving quickly, and uh, I can't wait till the, uh, I can't wait till we go down there. I'm looking for that big stake, big guy. Hopefully by, what, July 1st? We're going to start reopening up the city to 100%, including stadiums. So some sort of normality is coming back to the city now. What will happen is once the office, right now the office building in mid, buildings in Midtown are still like 10 to 15% capacity. Um, so it means less foot traffic, less people spending money. It's a big problem. And it makes tourists feel somewhat unsafe. Once offices start to fill up, everything will filter down from there. And I, I know today Jamie Dimon announced that he enough of this Zoom and homework stuff. He wants people back in offices. Everything will trigger in New York once people go back to work. I truly believe that. Um, and it'll also help to get a new administration, but we don't have to go in that direction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we could do 10 episodes on that. Yeah, we, we can talk on and on and on, you know, but, you know, hopefully we'll get back to some normalcy. We'll start getting yes. people going to places like the Hunt and Fish Club, you know, and, you know, police is definitely going to be, is being missed already. Oh, yeah. You know, I could only imagine the tons of stories you could tell us about the players, the people, the relationship you built with a lot of these people, you know, we would love to hear some of those stories. I mean, that's what, yeah. to be honest with you, I mean, uh, what, what I always said what made Foley's was the people, you know, the friends of Foley's and, and uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what I miss. I mean, I, I don't miss too much about New York right now, but I do miss the people. So, I mean, we've, what I've been doing is I've been having Zooms or WhatsApp or whatever I can do once a week with some of our customers, some of our staff, just staying in touch with people, mm -hmm. you know, staying on social media, you know, I mean, I mean, that's, you know what it's like. I mean, the customers are what make it, you know I mean? Without the customers and the interact, because you never know who's coming through your door. You know, you can look it up and all of a sudden it's Art Shamsky sitting at the bar or David Wright's at the bar or Brian Cashman's behind the bar. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, so uh, that's that's what I miss. Um, that's, I'll be honest with you, that's why I went to work with Publix. I wanted to do something where I could interact with people, you know, yeah. in a safe environment. <laughs> I hate to tell you, is I, it's, a, uh, it's the best, uh, I think it's the best uh, supermarket in the country. Yeah. And, you know, we got tons of them in Atlanta and down in Georgia. And, yeah, I mean, they got people. the freshest food. I mean, it's great. Yeah, they treat, people, they treat the staff well, they treat the customers well. You know, it's, it's one of those, I mean, I, I always said it's a bit like Disney. I always, I always love to watch how Disney, Disney operated and how... You know, everybody was so polite and everybody was so kind. And it was like, you know, you, you got, it was a, a welcoming experience. And that's what Publix is about. But part of the reason why that is, is that the staff actually own Publix because it's really, like, yeah, the only people who can buy stock in Publix are Publix employees. Yes, no debt. So, uh, Publix has no debt. Yeah. There's no debt. And, and it, it, it used to be for every 40 hours that you worked, you got a, you got a share. That has since changed, but you have the option, you know. So there's a great story about uh, when when Publix door opening, uh, they, because they're up like they're up by you, Ron. So they're in Atlanta, so they're yes. up, 
yeah, this, this businessman came in and he'd never been in a Publix before and he's looking around and he's like, well, this is pretty impressive. So as he buys a couple of things and he's at the, he's checking out and he turns to the cashier and she's been very nice and very polite and says, this is a beautiful uh, supermarket. He said, who owns it? And she talked for a second and she said, I do. <laughs> a little taken aback and he said, yeah, he said, he said the staff own Publix. So, you know, and, and you know, that was it. I mean, when, you know, when I, the two things that I've done since, since Foley's closes, I volunteer two homeless shelters down here and I work with Publix. So, so, oh, wonderful. You know, nice. so it's just, you know, what keeps me sane because, I mean, that's, you know, this, you spend, I, I, I mean, I'm a sixth generation bar owner. Okay. I've been in this business my entire life. I've done everything in this business except park cars. You know, I mean, when, when I met Joe first, I was, you know, I was a, uh, behind, I was behind the bar on, 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 I guess 32nd Street. 32nd Street. And, uh, 32nd Street. you know, and, uh, you know, I, I, from my left, I left Ireland, you know, when I was 21, but from I was 15, all I ever wanted was to own my own bar. And that came through for me in, in 2003 and with Foley's. And I mean, it was, it was, you know, I mean, but it's the people I miss, you know, I mean, Nelson, tell you, dealing with the city and dealing with the SLA and dealing with the health department, the fire department, that's not fun. But oh, it's horrible. Yeah, I was just going to say, you could attest, the business itself actually stinks. It's yes, all about the people. Precisely. I mean, that was it. I mean, I, I mean, I, I kind of feel guilty. I mean, right now, you know, like I said, 2021 is a wash. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm doing what I, I've never felt happier than to do now. I have no responsibility. I have no authority. And I have no money. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I still get I'm still getting, you know, 25 tax letters from the New York State. You know, about uh, the, I, 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 we closed and we closed uh, the doors when everybody else said, I guess March 12th, March 13th, or whatever it was. Yeah. And I, I paid the staff as long as we could, so I paid the staff, I guess, till I ran out of money sometime in June. And uh, so I got a call from New York State saying that uh, my workers' comp that I hadn't filed the third quarter in time, and that the penalty for not filing it was $15,000. Now, I said, hold on a second. I said, I closed in March. I said, I paid all the staff till the end of, end of June. I said, and the policy didn't expire until August. So I said, where in the world do you possibly think? I said, you know what? You, if you want $15,000, I said, here I am in Florida. I said, I make thirteen fifty an hour. I said, how much of that would you like? <laughs> no, so, yeah, I mean, I, I actually got that letter also, um, but there was a way to protest. For me, they only wanted 10000 though. They must have liked me better than you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there was a way to protest online. Okay, and then I got another email saying I didn't know ten thousand dollars. So okay, I think I have to stop talking to yeah, you. Yeah, I, I call I called them up and I just said you know because I just uh, for nothing other than chits and giggles I called them up and I actually got somebody who was willing to uh, who who saw the bigger picture. She said, uh, yeah. I said, trivia. I said, you owe me money. Yes, and she said, actually, yeah, we do. But she said, you're not going to get it. So I said, yeah. You know the good part about it, all your uh, friends and your fans. At your place, they would have chipped in and paid for the whole thing, you know. Uh, I mean, that listen, this is the, that's the thing. I mean, you know, because people said to me, they said, Oh, you know, why didn't you reach out to you know your friends that are athletes? And and, and you know, and to be honest with you, at the time, it was just a case of you know, I had 
I had an asshole landlord who, for the last, you know, the building that I'm, the building I'm in was a really old building. I mean, and there's a great story. I mean, there's the history attached to it. Uh, there were two companies that were formed um, on the site of where Foley's was. And one of them was IBM. Um, and because they started out as a time card, you know, clock card company. And the other one was Procter & Gamble. You know, Proc the first time Procter & Gamble shook hands about getting together was at, the, at a table in what was then George's, you know. But so it got sold a couple of times. And the last guys that bought it, they bought it, I guess, in like 16 or 17. And, you know, basically my lease was up in 2024. And I, every six months I got a letter from them saying, just to let you know, um, well, and you know, the guys, you know, you know, I get an estoppel certificate every time that yeah. they would refinance and they would say, right. just let you know, your lease is up in 2024. You're not getting another one. And uh, you're not, uh, you're not entitled to a, to, to a new lease. You're not entitled to renegotiate. You're not entitled to buy the bill. Not that I would have bought the building. So, I mean, I had basically started the process of where Foley's was going to move. So, I mean, I'd love to move Foley's into a ballpark. Because it's the, it's got the perfect setting for it, oh, absolutely. You know? And I kind of became, you know, the face of. I mean, I was the first one to kind of say that I was leaving, um, you know. And everyone said, "Oh, you're the smart one." I mean, I wasn't smart. I ran out of money. I had literally had no money. I mean, I got to the point where I didn't have enough money to pay my mortgage on my house, um, and or, or otherwise I'd still because I wanted to keep. I mean, my staff. That's you know this. My your staff, your family. You know, and I had, I had, you know, I had 19 staff and between those 19 staff, they were with me 200 years, if you want to count them up, you know, and uh, so I wanted to take care of them as long as I possibly could. In fact, we're, I'm, I'm putting up a pop-up store for Father's Day because people said, oh, we missed the last, we want to get some stuff, you know, so we're going to sell Foley's merchandise. All of that money, I don't see a penny of it. All of that money goes to help the staff that, that, uh, you know, it's funny, my staff did a GoFundMe page for the, they asked me for, to okay, like I, for legal reasons, I couldn't be the one to create it, right. but I, I approved them to create it and I uh, promoted it online with some of our regular customers and that money helped the staff particularly the lower paid ones right. through the pandemic. And the, the, the higher end staff actually set it up as a grant, like they give it away and as a loan program where they, some of them actually started to pay it back when unemployment came in just so they can give it to somebody else. Yeah. And they sort of managed this all by themselves. Yeah, I, 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 so I was approached about that. I just, I actually, I actually have met the guy who started GoFundMe my issue is they take 7% off the top. Yep. So uh, this guy, and this guy flaunts the fact that, you know, he's taken 7% of people that need brain surgery or people that are out of work. And so I stayed away from, I mean, I, I did have people that said, said, hey, what do you need? And, you know, some of like the, like, like the baseball community, you know, I mean, one, one community in particular that was very good to me was the, the, the umpires. Oh, really? They're all friends of mine, but I mean, they, I mean, I was getting checks, I was getting, you know, Venmos, you know, and they, they literally, they helped me through. And like I said, we got to the end, we got to, 
the end of June. And by that stage, then, I mean, I, a couple of guys in the kitchen that's, you know, that hadn't, uh, I mean, that I knew wouldn't have been able to get unemployment. We were able to take care of them or I was able to get them at least work and what have you. So, yeah, they were the uh, main beneficiaries we had in mind of the GoFundMe. Same yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I, I said to me, I mean, you know what? Bartenders are making five and six and seven hundred dollars a night. I said, look, I'm sorry that you're on if they've fallen in hard times, but if you haven't the wherewithal to put a couple of those dollars to one side, when the guy in the kitchen's got four kids and two wives, and you know, and um, and they work like dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. You know, I mean, they don't. They work like dog. What they work like well paid dogs now. When you consider that. You know, as like like I said, I had no, you know, the the minimum wage. The guy washing dishes is making fifteen dollars an hour, twenty two fifty for overtime, and I'm like, I'm making thirteen fifty now, and I'm very happy with it. So, yeah, know. the fifteen didn't bother me until it turned into twenty two fifty. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I I never had a problem with the fifteen. The fifteen, no. because you know what? Uh, but the, what what people don't realize is what what the fifteen did was, you know, I had. You know, so I, I had I didn't have as big a staff, let's say, as you would have had, and I had more line cooks per se as opposed to chefs. You know, and the fifteen dollars didn't, but all of a sudden, you know, I, I had three line cooks who were really happy making seventeen fifty or eighteen dollars an hour, which was pretty decent because again, it's right. you know twenty something dollars when it goes overtime. And but they came to me and they said, "Hold on, if Pasquale's making fifteen dollars washing dishes, I'm not going to cook for seventy so and everyone, had, the minute it went to 15, everybody up the chain went higher. Yeah, but my issue was the, my issue was paying the, the tipped employees $10 an hour. That's a killer. Yes. Because like I that said, that is you know, a killer. You, you have, you have, there's, there's not, no, no one of my tipped employees making less than $1,000 a week. Uh, by me, it was more like double that. <laughs> and it was. Well, no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying, and I'm, I'm being conservative. I'm saying, no one. I mean, the least one, the kid that's only working like three shifts a week, that's what they at least make. And this law gave them all a $10,000 raise yeah. for nothing. Yeah. yeah it was ridiculous. But my, I mean, my, 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 worries, my worries going forward, and I see, like, I see it down here now, it's just that, I mean, they can't get staff to work. You know, no, yeah. to work. You know I, I, have a, I have a buddy that actually owns a pizzeria in the same mall that, uh, the, that I work in, and at least two, three days a week, he's closed because he can't get they can't get the staff to. When, when we reopen, we're only going to be five days a week because I can't. I can only staff one shift. Yeah, I don't have enough. Yeah, you know, down in Atlanta, uh, you can't find anybody to work. No, right. I'm you sure it's the same. Uh, you know, the problem is unemployment benefits plus three hundred dollars are too high. Yeah. it disincentivizes people to take a job. Yeah, so, I, I have hands, people come back to work. I, I have a buddy down here, and uh, he has uh, four guys in the kitchen, and they're they're all brothers. But he literally has adopted this family. Yeah, he's basically sponsored all their visas, helped get all their citizenship, co-signed all their houses, and so when the so you know, and and he was he was literally he kept paying them as long as he possibly could, and. Uh, so when he got ready to reopen, he went, you know, like there's the head brothers going to talk to him and said, hey, we're getting ready to reopen. And uh, I want you guys to come back. And the guy said, he said, look, he said, right now, he said, you know, we're getting seven, $800 a week for staying at home. He said, if you don't pay us that, 
I mean, why would we work for the same money? He said, I'll match it. He said, why would we work for the same money? He said, no. He said, so he said, look, when the money runs out, when we, when the, the unemployment runs out, then we'll come back to work. Yeah. All right. What we're going to need, guys, is when everybody opens up, Rob, Ron, everybody, we need you all to come in and spend money. Oh, you don't have to worry yeah. about that. You know, right. and, uh, everything gets reopened back up in New York, Nelson. We're gonna go and have a book signing. We should Rob. do a book signing, yeah, a little, oh, a little yeah. presentation, yeah. You Let know, me tell you something. I know you wrote, read the book. What you think of it? I I didn't get it yet. No, he hasn't oh. got it yet. I read Mr. it, T, Mr. T. Yo. Rob, Mr. T, you have you read it? I read it. I read it. I read the whole thing in the last two days. Yeah. Did, did you like it? Tell me. Great. Did you like? Is 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 it a nice book? It's an excellent book, and you know. Part of, of one of part a hunk of my career was spent for 15 years reviewing books for People Magazine. So I used to read two books a week, and this is an excellent sports book that you've written, Ron. It, oh. And and the thing that I like the most about it, because I know enough about sports and the Yankees and New York, is it's all true, and it you really true. captured it, especially it your anecdotes about Gaylord Perry and yep. Reggie. And what it was like then. I grew up going to the stadium 20, 30 times a summer when I was a kid. Uh, I'm 65 now, so I'm a little bit younger than you. And, and uh, I grew up watching you play. And remember when, you know, you were a, a, a big, you know, it was a big celebration for my people because we had a handful of Jewish ball players: Mike Epstein, Kenny Holtzman, and uh, not too many. Yeah. Yeah, Elliot Maddox. El no, Elliot's a converted Jew. Yeah, yeah he's converted. Jew. He's, he's converted. Rock Carew, same thing. No, no, no. Rock Carew is not Jewish. He married. No, married a Jewish woman. He married. He married, married a Jewish, Jewish woman, but Rod and got divorced from her. But he never converted. And people think that he's Jewish, but he's not. But you know, the the good part about it was that you know, I mean, with this book and. The guy, uh, the co-author, his name was Dan Epstein, and he was a big writer for the Rolling Stones. And what I decided to do, I wanted to do something that was different about the book, because every baseball book, they put stats in it. And when you read all that stuff, you get boring. You're talking about uh, flight elevation. You're talking about this guy hit 396 and he hit a home run and and he talked, just talked baseball. So I wanted to do something different. And nobody, and the people that are listening now, nobody, nobody ever thought that Thurman was other than a nasty guy. He was a nasty guy on the field, okay? He was dirty on the field. He never shaved. Sometimes he never took a shower when he went home. Sometimes he used to come to the ballpark uh, the next day, we're in the same clothes. Uh, but people didn't realize that he hated writers, except he was real good friend with Red Foley. Yeah. He was not good friends, but he respected Red Foley, Dick Young, Maury Allen, Phil Pepe, Joe Donnelly, all those guys. Okay, Jim Ogle. Jim so, Ogle loved the Yankees. He used to oh. take the seventh inning stretch in the press box. Oh, absolutely. And, and okay, 
so I decided I wanted to do something different. I wanted to write a book about Thurman, about the guy that he was off the field. And people didn't realize that he was one of the nicest human beings you could ever meet. Hey, Nelson, have you ever met Thurman? No, I met his okay. uh, widow. I, I met his wife. Diana, okay. Diane, I met her. I never met Thurman. Mr. T. had a wonderful you, you knew Thurman. I never met Thurman either. I met his wife as well. You never met Thurman? No, I, I uh, you know, back then, I mean, I, I knew a handful of Yankees and uh, I met George Steinberg, met her many times. Okay. I have a lot of funny stories about him. Uh, I still remember where I was in my apartment. My roommate came running into the apartment and said, Thurman Munson died, Thurman Munson died, turn on the TV. And we were all stunned. Oh yeah. my gosh, you were, I, I spoke to him about three, about four days before they're in Cleveland. I believe they're in Cleveland. I'm not totally sure, but uh, um, I spoke to him. He asked me how I was doing. And then I knew they had an off day. I knew they had an off day. So I spoke to the uh, traveling secretary and he said, he, st he stayed home because Diana and his family was there because he's from Canton, Ohio. And he flew because I knew that he loved airplanes because even when he was, uh, uh, didn't have a plane and when he didn't have a lot of money, he was always interested in aviation. Always, always brought in two things brought in uh, uh, the horse racing, football games that we all betted on, the football games. And he used to bring in aviation, uh, airplanes. And, um, but, uh, you know, unfortunately it did happen. And, you know, and, uh, and I'm trying to do everything I possibly can to get him in the Hall of Fame. The more, you know, the more great reviews that we get for a book, the book started, the book for one week, was number one. Now it's down to like 12 now. And that's not bad after two and a half weeks. With You got millions of books out there and it's doing extremely well, but I'm gonna do everything I possibly can in my power to, to get the writers to understand, to understand Thurman. Sean, did you ever meet Thurman Munson? Oh, no, but, but I, I, met, I also I met the wife and I met this, I think his son, Mike. Yes, Mike. Yes, correct. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I had the I had the, the the pleasure of of like those guys that you talked about. We used to host the uh, post party for the writers' center, and when they were still alive, I got to sit and listen to, you know, Pappy and and Red and all those guys talking about Munson and the fact that you know they respected him too because they he knew he had a job to do, they had a job to do. And, uh, you know, and plus it was a different time back then, you know, you didn't have social media and you weren't tweeting stuff out and, you know, they can make off the cuff remarks and, and, and Thurman was good at making off the cuff remarks, um, you know, and they wouldn't get printed. No, you know? not, not at all. And, and Thurman was the type of guy that, you know, if, if you were a regular beat writer and if you ask a question, he might not like it, but he'll answer you, but he hated writers that were newly writers or just started uh, uh, doing, being the beat writer for the Yankees uh, from like Jersey, Connecticut, uh, wherever in New York. And they always would ask a stupid question. And if you, and I was three uh, uh, lockers away from them. 
And Bobby Mercer was right next to Thurman, okay? And when people used to ask Thurman questions and you knew that they're like dumb, this guy would bite their head off. He would eat them up. And you know, you hear it because all of a sudden you hear Thurman getting up and taking that stool and hitting against the wall. And those riders, they look like they, they want to run out. But that was the type of guy he was. But once he left the game, once he left the ballpark, you couldn't find a nicer person. We used to go and do the Jerry Lewis telethon every single year. We used to do the Shriners. Uh, we used to do uh, so much stuff. We used to go to Sloan Kettering. We used to go to Lenox Hill. We used to go to all the hospitals that had cancer patients. You should see him going up to kids that have cancer. And first thing he would ask the parents, is there anything I could do for your son? And, you know, they said, just introduce yourself. Because they knew, well, realistically, they knew that they're afraid to say anything because they didn't want him to bite the heads off of them. <laughs> but, but they didn't know what type of person he actually was because, you know, he was like a teddy bear. He, he would melt when he see these kids. And these kids will come up to him and with shaved heads and you know how sick they are. And we go up and we hug them and, and you know, we laugh at them and they laugh and, and then we leave crying and you should see us, you know, I mean, with tears in eyes and, you know, he has so much love in him and with his family, Diana, that was his uh, love of his life and high school sweetheart. And, you know, he was a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. He was, he was an All-American, a, a Hall of Fame player, but he was a Hall of Famer family man once he was off that field. And that's what I, hopefully, I uh, uh, projected in that book what type of person he actually was. And, well, Ron, yeah. uh, what I wanted to tell, let everybody know about the book that I really liked is you gave us the humanity of all the ball players, then because of you, Thurman, everybody on the team, because what you made clear, and and a lot of people don't understand that in this day and age, is you guys weren't making any money back then. No. In fact, what was your your meal money was seven dollars a day. Seven dollars a day. You weren't getting paid during spring training. No. And yeah, I, I. It's funny. I, I was. We I, lost you. I lost your volume, Mr. T. We lost, we lost you. Mr. T, I can't hear you. He can't hear you. You know, I think he probably uh, maybe. Uh, He's, uh, Rob, you're on mute. No, I'm not. I'm not. Now you're you back. Oh, you're all back now. Okay, yeah, what lost, you we lost you for a bit. But, uh, um, but people don't know. I made seven, uh, six or $7 for meal money. And we used to go to the ballpark. I tell you a real, real quick story. I, we lived up in New Jersey when we first came in. Thurman and I, we uh, first lived in uh, Paramus, and then we went out uh, uh, towards like Wyckoff, Ridgewood, around that area, okay? And we used to uh, uh, pick up Elston Howard, and sometimes we'll pick up Phil Rizzuto, and we always, each and every time we went over the George Washington Bridge, somebody paid for it. And I think, I'm not sure, it was 50 cents, maybe, or a dollar to go over. And then you had to pay to get back to, okay, <laughs> back then. 
And I remember whenever, you know, I remember whenever we, uh, uh, when El it was Elston's time and Phil Rizzuto's time to pay. All of a sudden, you know, they about a mile away, they talk and laughing and whatever. As soon as they get to the bridge and it's their time to pay, of course they're sleeping, right? <laughs> they have never paid. I have never seen Rizzuto and I've never seen Nelson Howard pay for a toll, ever. <laughs> and I always tell, I always tell uh, uh, Arlene, I said, Arlene, your husband never paid anything for a toll to go to the ballpark and out to dinner or whatever. But, you know, but I loved them to death. They were the, you know what? We didn't make any money, but I would not take that. Those years that I had, to this day, these people are my brothers. Nowadays, these guys, they don't stay together. They don't do things together. They don't go out together. They take their uh, limousines to the ballpark. They have their drivers stay outside. They don't do anything as a team, nothing. You know, I mean, they had their uh, financial advisors. They have their trainers. They have their, you know, nutritionists. You know, I mean, our nutrition, you know, only thing what we have, you know what they have, they have in spring training, they had steak and this and whatever. We had soup. We had soup, eggs, and uh, uh, celery and carrots. That's what we had. And then we're lucky in a lot of places when we had games, we didn't, a lot of people didn't have money. And we all used to go and eat White Castle hamburgers. Yeah, that's what we used to do. And people, but, they're, but they're good. There's nothing Oh, no, White, White Castles are delicious. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they're I, I loved them. No, 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 I'm not talking. No, no. But hey, when you eat like when you eat like twelve white castles at like three o'clock in the morning, and then you get up and you feel like a gigantic sea cow, <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you don't feel good. And then you go to the ballpark, and then you you got a game, and you know you're excited because the game's over with like at twelve twelve thirty, and you're lucky to find a diner that's open. And you got the leftover uh, bagel, or you got the less, uh, leftover uh, uh, eggs that they could fix for you. Hey, <laughs> hey, it, it was different. I mean, it, people think, God, you made the big leagues, you made tons of money. We didn't make any money, but hey, yeah, but I don't see, care. That's what people don't understand nowadays. They, understand you know? they, they, they think that every ball player was the billionaire. <laughs> every ball player was. Uh, making all this big money because now they're making all this big money. They don't understand that. I mean, in the book you wrote about you, Thurman, getting kicked out of a, a restaurant and all yeah, you could- Yeah, Chateau Madrid, Madrid out at Fort Lauderdale. Out at Fort Lauderdale. Chateau Madrid, you know, have you been to Chateau Madrid? No, but I read your book. Oh, but it was delicious. <laughs> we used to go there every spring training. We probably went down there maybe 20 times. We used to, they got a great seafood bar. They had the fried shrimp, they had the lobster, they had the stone crabs. They had all the, you know, I mean, all the uh, uh, vegetables and whatever. I think we paid like $2.95 eating all we want. And we used to eat that food. I mean, it was like nothing. I mean, uh, but people don't, hey, let me tell you something. Like I said before, we didn't make any money, but we had the greatest fun in the world. We had the greatest teammates in the world. 
And, you know, I mean, uh, that's why they called us the Bronx Zoo, you know, because, I mean, we would have arguments and we, but we would kiss and make up. And, uh, but that's how we were. And that was- uh, To us, like the fans, you know, we're not just fan of the baseball players like you, Ron, but we're also fans of like Nelson and Sean, because you know what, you got, they also provide the service to us fans that players get to go to their establishments. Oh, it's they great to go to uh, uh, Foley's that I've never been to. It's great to go to uh, 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 Nelson's uh, place. You can find nice and better places. I right. mean, the ball players used to, as soon as they came into town, they came into town, uh, 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 they go to Foley's. They always would talk about Foley's and, you know, and, and Nelson, did you, you didn't have a restaurant. Uh, uh, no. Nelson was one, just right? a baby then. I was, <laughs> I was a boring lawyer back then. I didn't become interesting with restaurants until much later in life. <laughs> no. But, you know, but we used to, you know, but we used to go and we used to do things in the city. We would see, I frequent uh, the stage deli. The Love stage it. deli, we used to live there. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, we used to, hey, I, I taught Thurman how to eat pastrami and corned beef and uh, half sours and uh, <laughs> potato salad and coleslaw and Dr. Brown's and cheesecake and rice pudding. He never knew what that was. He never knew <laughs> what Jewish food was. And then I used to go to Cleveland. He used to take me to White Castles. I never knew what White Castles <laughs> were. You know, but, uh, I but think it was, he was fun. Getting the better end of that deal. Oh no, no, pastrami and corned beef. Let me tell you something. I would have to. Oh me. Now, let me tell you something. It's you know, uh, there's no delis in New York anymore. No. Cats is about it. Oh uh, yeah, that's all in downtown. That's on the Second Avenue. I guess that's about the last. There's, there's the Second Avenue, Avenue Deli is now on Third Avenue, and it's not the same. No, but I can't mean cats. But actually, it's funny. It's um, I worked for the guys who who took over the stage deli, and I actually got it for nothing. Um, but I pleaded with them just to you know the health department basically closed them down to clean it up, and I mean it was iconic, you know. And I pleaded with them just. Don't, you know, just clean it up and reopen it as the stage deli because, you know, along with the Carnegie deli, that was when cats. I, we, I tried to take over the Carnegie. We spoke to the owner before it closed or whatever. I hated the idea. I'm not looking to necessarily do more restaurant brands. Like, it's not my thing at the moment. I'll just keep what I have. The one exception I would have made was to keep the Carnegie. Yeah. That was such a landmark spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was, I, when when the guys, the guys that took it over, I mean, they turned it into another Irish bar. I'm like, really? I'm like, you know, Seventh Avenue needs another Irish bar. I mean, you've got, you know, people coming all the time. I was just like, I mean, it was, it was iconic. I was like, you know, it was that one place that I, I agree with you. I mean, the the, uh, but these are this is the same guy who had an opportunity about 25 years ago. Uh, he was offered the. Uh, the Grand Central Oyster Bar for nothing, and he turned that one down too. So, oh wow, yeah, the, the um, interesting people. Uh, uh, I was at the Carnegie one day with Tommy Lasorda when the original owner, did, um, oh, I forget his name, Leo Steiner. His name was Leo Steiner. No, the one who took over Mur was it Murray, who wore his pants up to his chest and then had suspenders. 
<laughs> and uh, and after him came Sandy, the son-in-law, who that is a sordid affair. And I asked, I questioned him on the preparation about uh, the way he made some of his food and why he didn't use kosher meats. Um, and he looked at Tommy, looked at me, looked back at Tommy and goes, your friend's an effing idiot. It's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> was, I, I figured from that point on, I'll just shut my mouth. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because I, they all used to stay at the uh, Sheraton right across the street. Right across the street, yeah. Yeah, I mean, everybody. I mean, uh, we used to go down to, uh, um, uh, uh, you, you got the uh, Old Timers Day, and you have the Bobby Richardsons, and they have the Bob Turleys, and they lived and died, you know, over at the Stage Deli. And, and you know, you know, they named a sandwich after me and let me tell you, did you know they I had a sandwich at the stage? Yeah, but they put chopped liver on it. That yeah, was terrible. Yeah, chopped liver was terrible. We have corned <laughs> beef, we have, wait, wait. We have corned beef, pastrami, and chopped liver and mm. onions. And that's the worst. How in the world can they put chopped uh, that's terrible? I, and you know I what they, sandwich, Ron, but I scraped the chopped liver off. Oh, I can't eat the chopped liver. And wait a second. And they had Shamsky. They put you 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 want me to tell you what our Shamsky sandwich was? Ham and cheese. <laughs> it was it was ham and cheese he'll tell you this from the, but uh, it was fun it was you fun. know it's funny and um, I'm sure Sean would agree like and Ryan you know better than anyone <clears throat> like so people would ask me how do you get ball players to come to your place or other celebrities or singers and I said it's not a real art to it, it, it and it's not a science it's more of an art like you just you kind of they go where they're comfortable and they're creatures of habit. And so you tend to see the same people coming to the same places. And then you get known as a place where it's comfortable for people with some degree of fame to come in and stay comfortable. And just some people know how to do it. And some people, and there's no classes in it. Either, you, either it comes naturally or it doesn't. But it's just not an accident that people flock to certain places for years and will never step foot anywhere else. Yeah, I don't, like I couldn't describe how to do it, but it all has to do with somehow they have to know they're comfortable by you, and once that happens, they're very loyal. Yeah, who, I'm was, your first, who was your first athlete, Nelson? Who was your first athlete that came to your restaurant? Oh God, at the Hunted Fish, it was either it was either Derek or Michael Jordan was the first major one. We had a lot of the lessons. It was, I don't remember who was there first, but it was either Derek or Michael Jordan. It might've been Jordan, because not long after we opened, the NBA All-Star Game was in New York. Okay. So everybody was around. So the night Jordan, then Charles Barkley and other like that. So we had a whole rush of NBA people coming in across the All-Star Game. If I remember, it was really weird. They had Some of the events were held in Brooklyn by the Barclays and some of the events by Madison Square Garden. So it's funny, when my, I had no connection to Michael Jordan at all, but apparently he heard about us. He had somebody call from his plane and make a reservation and hold a room and all of this. And I'm like, how the hell did Michael Jordan find out about us, right? <laughs> I had no, and I said, I know somebody, Give them 10 minutes if they're late, assume the reservation is bullshit and give it to somebody else. <laughs> Thankfully, they were on time. You know, I had a table. Once you, once you are known to be a good place, good people, 
they'll flock to you. How about Sean? Who's your first guy you had in there? Uh, you know, we I had four thousand signed baseballs, so you know I would have them all sign balls when they come in. It didn't matter what sport they were in. I had politicians, porn stars, you name it. But uh, the first guy that I ever met was Joe McEwing, and Joe was with the Mets at the time, and and Joe did one of the classiest things. Uh, he brought David Wright to Foley's, his, David's first night in New York. And David and I became good friends, and we still are good friends. But the classy part was Joe brought, Joe brought David to New York, uh, to, to Foley's, and said, look, this is someplace where you'll always feel like home. And Sean will always take care of you. So it was after a game or whatever, he said, he's a good, he's good. But the thing is, he did that knowing that the next day, Joe was getting sent down so that David got his roster spot. You know, but back to what Nelson said, I mean, one, why, why a lot of the people like to come to Foley's was they, they were comfortable, they were never going to be bothered, and they were never treated any differently than anyone else. Part of the reason for that was most of the girls that I had working for me were Irish and knew nothing about, so they had no clue who, you know, <laughs> who, who Orlando Cepeda or, or Bobby Cox was, you know. The only one I had an issue with, actually the only person probably that gave me the most headaches when he would come was John Hamm because uh, he would literally turn every woman in the room into mush. <laughs> I would be getting text messages saying I would leave my husband for him. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, I got I got to know I got to know John really well because we were the home for the first Cardinal fans in New York. We're known for all baseball fans, but we were and you know for years. You know, I John the two of the biggest celebrity Cardinal fans were John Hamm and Andy Cohen. And Andy is another fan of, uh, and Andy was very, very, very uh, enamored with our men's room. Uh, not for any other reason. I mean, our urinals were 140 years old, but I mean, he did interviews in our urinals. Um, he did a photo shoot for Vogue, where we had 26 people in our bathroom while he was doing the photo shoot. But uh, John Ham, you know, and, and so John would call me and he would say, hey, you know what, I'm in town. I want to watch the Blues game. Can you have me out? And I was like, sure. You know, I set him up at the table, but I would always bring somebody in. I would have a bouncer sit two tables away from him. And, you know, the, the rule of photos was nobody ever goes to the table. Now, if you interact with him while he's going to the bathroom or when he's coming out of the bathroom, that's a different story. But nobody ever went to the table. But uh, he was the one that caused me. Yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> we we uh, we had some. I had some good fun. So actually, we, for one of their worlds, their last World Series games, he was there with uh, Paul Rudd. You know, and and we also had uh, uh, Senator Claire McCaskill. I had no clue who she is. We never three things we never discussed the Foley's was religion, politics, and the weather. Because you know what, you had nothing better to talk about than religion, politics, and the weather. But uh, she came in, and I, I, someone said, "You don't know who she is." I said, "I have no clue in the world who she is." I went up to her and I said, "Listen, I got to be honest with you." I said, "I know what side of, of the house you're on." I said, "I know nothing about you, about you, except seemingly you're famous." I said, and I told her we don't talk politics. She says, "You're a smart man. I wish I didn't." <laughs> you talk baseball, but you know, I mean, that was the thing. It's like, you know, you know what? I think one of the things was I always believed that I, I always believed in treating everybody with respect, and that, and to me, it didn't matter whether you were the construction worker from Bayonne or Brian Cashman. 
you know, and that was the thing it was. I treated, I always, and, and you know what, it's the same with my staff. It's like, you know, it's like we treat everybody the same, you know, and we, and we just give them the, you know, a warm and welcome, you know, environment. And that's what they, you know, that's what they love. And that's what teams would, you know, that like, especially with, yeah, you know, Ron, you know this, you're on, you're on the road for a long time. You know, you want, when you're on the, in a different city, it's nice to have someplace to go where you can just relax and feel like you're at home. Oh yeah, that's especially if you like old for forty. If you go old for forty, <laughs> you want to, you just want to go in a corner. You don't want to see any writers at all. You, yeah. If you're if if you've seen up in New York, you old for forty. You know, I mean, the next day you're going to be in the uh, back of the uh, Daily News or the Post, and you know, I mean, you don't want to see that. Now with these uh, social media stuff, people take pictures of you. You don't know what they're going to take pictures of. Yeah. You know, I mean, right. that's a scary situation. I mean, uh, you know, you're walking down the street and, you know, somebody's going to take an autograph of you and all of a sudden somebody's going to take a picture of you and this girl that you write an autograph for and, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, this social media really got out of hand. I don't, you know, I mean, it would not, with our team, I don't think social media would go over too well. No, as it, was, as it was explained to me, an autograph, the celebrity has some control over. They see what they're signing. There's a little bit of control that every telephone is a camera. There's no control at all. Like they own you. Correct. You have no say. There's nothing. Yeah. If, if it's an offensive picture, you don't have to sign it. If they're rude or if they're, like there's an element of control that the celebrity has and that somebody has a phone, wherever you stand, it's a problem. It's a real problem. And everybody you know, has one and everybody's taking pictures of everybody. You know, right. I mean, it's a, it's a scary situation. I mean, yeah. it really is a scary situation. It, it was different back then in the 1970s. Oh, no. If you, wanted a, if you wanted to see a baseball team and where they were, you had to look up in the sporting news. It would say like where what, what hotel they were staying at. Because Correct. all the teams that used to play the Mets used to stay at the Roosevelt Hotel. Correct. So I had friends that would always go to the coffee shop at the Roosevelt and they would get autographs from all the players there. So one day my friends were getting ready to take the seven train out to Shea and they see Lou Brock standing in the middle of Grand Central Terminal. And they went over, they go, Mr. Brock, what are you doing? He goes, I missed the team bus. How much is a taxi to Shea Stadium? They said, oh, probably five or six bucks he goes i'm not paying that much <laughs> how much is the subway they said oh it's 30 cents so he said could are you going to shea stadium they said yeah and lou brock took the subway they gave him a token and he went out to shea with them that's what it was like back then <laughs> yeah john john Olerud, his entire career both with the mets and the yankees rode the subway no one no one knew who he was a lot of people did you know you know, I mean, uh, nowadays everybody knows everybody and you just don't know what's going to happen. But uh, it's no place, no place like New York. And I know how bad it is now. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know when we're going to have Old Timers Day again. I really don't because the hotels are not open. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to allow, you know, the older guys whenever we're there. We're walking in the city. I don't know if they're going to allow us walking in the city. You know, I mean, with the uh, the police force, and you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. And uh, 
So I think it's going to be a little while before we're going to have anything, you know, any type of uh, uh, organized, uh, uh, you know, stuff. But, uh, you know, I miss, you know, you miss so many guys. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, you couldn't go to Old Thomas Day last year. And this year, you don't have it. And a few people already passed. And, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's awful. I mean, uh, but for some reason, for some reason, something's good going to come out of this. That's how I have to look at it. What goes up goes down. What goes down will go up. And something's going to be good out of this. And uh, so, hey, it is what it is now. And it looks like uh, uh, we are going to come back. It looks like we're going to have some sports. It looks mm -hmm. like baseball. And uh, we're going to go to uh, – uh, we can't go to Foley's anymore, but we're going to find well, out where Sean's place is. Before you go on, I just want to ask Sean, you were talking about earlier about that you would like to open up a, a Foley's in a baseball stadium. Do you have one in mind or have you thought about that? No, I mean, like I said, I, 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 I took 2021 as, you know, my gap year. And uh, just a way to see, I mean, because, I mean, until the city's fully open and then we got to see, I mean, I'm getting... 20, 25 emails a day from different realtors trying to sell me all these different, uh, you know, places in the city. But I mean, you know, we when you don't know what's, you know, I mean, they're, they're, believe me, they're, I mean, they're delusional with the rents. But oh, yeah. uh, I just got to wait to see. So I mean, I'm listen. Wh wh why I wanted to put Park with the memorabilia I have, which is all in storage. Um, you know, it's a perfect fit for a ballpark. Plus, I mean, selfishly, I put it into a ballpark. I mean, technically, I only have to work 81 days a year, you know, right. so and right. spend the other 280 days in Florida. You know, yeah. so, I mean, I, look, I'm open to, I don't know. I mean, there, there will be a Foley's 2.0 in some, some, some shape or form. Um, I just thought as right as of right now, I just don't know where because I just want to wait. I mean, I I, I equated it to golf. People said, "Well, what, what's what are you going to do next?" I'm like, "I'm going to wait for the ball to stop rolling, and when it stops rolling, then I'll know exactly what I need to do." I mean, I think I think people would love the idea of a Foley's either at City Field or even Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, oh, absolutely. I mean, that would be a hit, total hit. I mean, that was <laughs> the place. I know that when when uh, Steve Cohen had his uh, when he when he went on Twitter and talked to the fans and you know he said I, I want to know what the fans want me to do um, you know when when I take over when they, what, what do you want and everyone wants to bring back the black jerseys but seemingly I think seven or eight different people and I had nothing to do with this said you know if you really want to do something you could put folies into the city field so we'll wait and see what happens. Hey, I'll sign that petition. Absolutely I mean, that. the funny thing is, I mean, I've taken pot shots at the Mets and, you know, for years. I mean, I used to be a huge Yankee fan. Like when Joe and I met first, we were, I was a huge Yankee fan. But now I have so many friends on so many different teams. Um, like, you know, the, I'll be having breakfast on Thursday with the radio broadcaster for the Rays. Martinez lives down not, not that far from me, you know. So I have friends on all the teams. So I root for the guys that I know. And but exactly. except except the, except the Astros and the Red Sox. Good boy. Like, I like that. Even at that. So so you're talking about the the Italian. 
I'm involved with the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame. I'm the president of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame. And why am I the president of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame? Because I named myself the president and nobody has ever questioned me on it. But, uh, there's, there's, a, there's an Irish American Baseball Society that I've gotten involved with trying to help them. So I'm actually interviewing Duke Castiglione, and Joe Castig's son, and Duke used to be in New York tomorrow for that. You know, but uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I miss the business. Um, I want to do it, but I mean, truthfully, you know, I, you know, I've got to wait to see what's what's what. Well, I, I could tell you this. I may need to borrow money from Ron. Ron, if this book's a big seller, I may need an investor. Well, I'm just gonna go to Nelson. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> you saw how quickly he turned that one around, right? Right. No, I'm gonna go to Rob T. I was gonna say sure. Rob is conspicuously silent. Rob, I'm. <laughs> Hey, hey, Rob! If you Checks sell all those, you sell all those books behind you. We can open a restaurant. Yeah, I'm looking okay. at all these books. No, he said this is fictitious back there. Hey, I, I want to ask Ron Bloomberg. Uh, wait a minute about of all the pictures you face because I love the parts in the book about Louis Tian and uh, and Jim Palmer. You were able to hit Palmer pretty well. Yeah, I hit him pretty good. But the, you know the toughest pitcher I have ever faced, and everybody. They always say, who's your toughest uh, pitcher you ever faced? I said, none of them, because they're afraid of me. And, you know, so that's a joke. You know, they got a kick out of that. But the really the toughest pitcher I've ever faced, ever faced, was Burt Blylevin. Great curveball. The best. Killer curve. I mean, the best curveball I've ever seen. I mean, I've never seen a curveball. I don't know. Hey, Sean, have you been out to many games before? Me, I yeah, have seen games in every stadium in the country. Okay, so you, okay, so you, you leave your stadium. Okay, so you, okay, I know Nelson and I yeah. know Joe, but when you see like a bird, when you see a curveball that actually talks to you when it breaks, you know you got a curveball. This guy has a curveball that probably threw maybe 86, 87 miles an hour, but it will go from 12 to six. It was, it, it had like a buzz to it. And, you know, you can hear it. You know, I mean, it, it was, when you have something like that, you know, you got a special guy. And um, he was really, really special. He was tough for me. Some people hit him well, but I did not hit him well. Uh, you know, he was, he was tough. But, uh, uh, you know, hey, you know, uh, this is what we did. I mean, you know, I don't see how in the world did these guys pull so many muscles now in like their obliques? And I had no idea what an oblique was like six months ago. Never <laughs> even heard of one before. I, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a hamstring, but they said it was on the side. You know, I mean, y'all probably played stickball. And I know that Sean never played stickball. Rob, Rob, you, you played stickball. And, of course. Yeah. And that's all you probably used to do. Did you ever pull an oblique before? No. No. Hey, Nelson, have you? Did no. you ever know what one was? Before? No, never heard. Nobody of it. knew what one was. Nobody knew what. But, but Ron, uh, did, you lift, did you lift weights a lot when you were? I mean, I never lifted weights at all. No, the only just, thing I did know, everything was, you know, the guy up above gave me the ability to, you know, whatever. I was always, you know, what I was, I was always too big and strong. And people say, "How are you too big and strong?" I was too tight. You know, I didn't have the, uh, 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 I, I never, ever touched my, uh, uh, touched the floor with my hands. 
with my without bending my knees. And but the Yankees, when I started getting injured, they sent me to the New York City Ballet and uh, to take uh, uh, stretching, and it did work. But the problem is, you know, I mean, it's like a month and a half before spring training, and you know, you do exercises and stuff, but you still tighten up. So uh, I, I just didn't have that elastic ticket. I can't even say it. Where you know, I mean, it was. I wasn't a less uh, like uh, uh, like a rubber band. And your your personal, your personal trainer didn't help you with this. I wish I had personal this? trainers. My personal personal trainers. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I mean, hey, you personal trainers. We had nothing personal on our team. You know the funny <laughs> part about it. I used to go to Yankee Stadium, and Derek Jeter took my locker. Okay, when I used to go to Old Timers Day, I used to have like two, three. Uh, 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 a pairs of shoes and maybe four or five bats in my locker. I used to go to Derek. He had like two, 300 pairs of shoes, about 150 bats. It felt like you're going to Models. <laughs> it feels like you're going to Models. I mean, it's, 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 it's like a store. It's like a, no, no, seriously. It's, you got gloves, you got bats, you got balls. I mean, you got everything in there. Our little, uh, it's a beautiful locker, but we had like two gloves and about two, three pairs of shoes. But I mean, he had like a, a, a different pair of shoes every time he took like 25 steps. <laughs> and, he, and he got paid, what, a few million dollars to wear those shoes. Only thing what we got when we wore those shoes, they gave us an extra pair of shoes. That's the only thing they gave us. But hey, and it was, hey, it was fun. But we had fun. It was the best. Sean was in the best city in the world. He, he was. Yes, sir. It's uh, 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 the greatest city in the world. It's still a great, it's still the best city in the world. But you know what we did have? We had the best fans in the world. And Rob, and Rob, you know, I didn't say to him anything because he's a big Met fan. He's a, <laughs> he's a big fan. Wait, 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 wait. wait. He has to tell us the story. He has to tell us a story before. Yeah, wait, before we go, tell us the story. Why did you get banned from Yankee Stadium? Tell me. Honestly, okay. honestly. I was, I was covering covering baseball, and I wrote a couple of features about the Mets. So I, I wrote a really good feature on when they had a Subway series, you know, in the middle of the season. And uh, it made the front page of the Huffington Post and had great interviews with a lot of the players from both teams. And so I called the Yankees to get to get a press pass. And they put some kid on who must have been all about 12 years old. And he said, uh, I'd like to know what the subject of your article will be about. And I said, well, you could look up my column in today's paper, or uh, I could give you a detail of what it'll be. And uh, he said, yes, tell me. And I said, uh, the game hasn't played yet, so it's really none of your effing business. And uh, he said, you're denied a press pass. And I just said, I'm a member of the press. Go look me up. Go, go look at People Magazine. I'm not, you know, I can't tell you what the article is going to be about. I never heard of such a thing in my life. And so then uh, the editor called and said, he's denied credentials. So I wrote a really mean article about the Yankees and called them an evil empire. Really? So yeah, you actually Phil, get... Phil Mushnick jumped in from the post and said, "Yes, you're right. They are evil." So you actually never nice got into the stadium. So, so you never actually got into the stadium. Well, 
not not to cover that series. No, I've been back, but I'm I, not not as a member of the press, just as a civilian and a fan. But I mean, growing up, I I went to Yankee Stadium constantly, especially. I, it, it was easier to afford Yankee Stadium when I was in high school than it is now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All my friends used to be in Con Edison, Earl Batty. In, oh, I don't yeah. know if you remember Earl Batty in Sorry. center field. Yeah. You know, the Con Edison kids. Con Ed kids, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think they paid like uh, 10 cents a piece or 15 cents a piece. But... Uh, uh, Oh yeah, I don't see how people. Seventies, could... a general admission seat was about a buck and a quarter or a dollar seventy-five, just for upper deck. It was it was great? Yeah. You got a hand, you got a hot dog for like a uh, buck fifty. Now you got to pay twenty cent, uh, twenty dollars, twenty two dollars. Uh, you know, it's gonna cost you fifty dollars for you know a hot dog and a drink. Yep. Yeah. I know we're running a little bit behind schedule now, so we're going to have to call this tonight. Thank you, guys. Okay. Uh, guys. Thank you for Pleasure doing to be this. Here. Nelson, nice. And Sean, come back. We miss yes. you. Sean, anything we could do, please. Anything. Rob T. have my email. Call me. Let me know. I'm there for you. All Rob right. T. Absolutely, Sean. Sean, Nelson, I want to let you know, thank you all very much. Sure, y'all are the best. Y'all are the ones that made New York. And I know Sean's coming back to New York to be a star again. And I know Nelson is going to be a, another star. And I know Rob T is going to get thrown out of another uh, uh, a game. So <laughs> it's going to be out of the Huntington Fish Club just so he feels comfortable. Okay. Hey, always. I'm always Rob, welcome at the Huntington Fish Club. Rob, you're the first person barred out of Foley's 2.0. <laughs> we love y'all uh, have a great evening thank guys you guys. thanks Nelson, everybody Rob, yeah. thank y'all very much we love y'all bye-bye y'all bye-bye sean thank you again welcome joe take care buddy thank you sean love you big yeah. guy be careful talk to you soon be good all right joe hold on Hello? Sorry, hold on one second. Hello? Yes, hold on one Hi, second. Hi, I'm on uh, uh, my... Uh, uh...